Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the Israelites build the tabernacle and its furnishings, God's beauty and value, Exodus 25 through 37. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. The current study, I may be writing as I go along, so it may or may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available once all of the lessons for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. Okay, so now that all that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, we talked about how God had asked the people to build a tabernacle so that his presence could dwell with them while they were traveling to the promised land. He told the people everything that they would need in order to build it, and he also called and enabled all the workers to do the work in the exact way that he'd laid out. And if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talked about the tabernacle and the progression of the tabernacle and then the temple and then Jesus being the temple of God and now us being the temple of God. So that was one aspect of it. Another thing that we talked about is how God enables the people that he calls to do the work that he has for them. And that's something that all of us need to hear, right? We need to know that if God is going to ask us to do something, then he's going to make us capable. And then the last thing that we talked about was how there was more than enough time and materials donated by the people in order to build this building. And we talked a little bit about tithing and offerings. And so, again, if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. This episode, we're going to actually talk about what the tabernacle and all of the things that were within it looked like. And I'm not going to read probably anything today because I want to just explain it to you as it's written in here. It's a difficult read. I just have to tell you. It's like reading plans for a house. But it's so important to get the picture in our mind of what this place looked like because it was beautiful. And so we're going to be talking about this tabernacle and all the furnishings in it and what the priests do there over the course of really the whole Old Testament off and on. And so you need to have a picture in your mind of what we're talking about. So I'm just going to kind of start explaining what this building was and the things that were within it. And then I'll try to cite where each of these things are so you can go back yourself if you would like and read at least, you know, parts of it or whatever. Another thing that I'd like you to do is get on the internet and pull up some of these things that I'm talking about. After I give you the name of what we're looking at, you may even want to pause this and look it up and be looking at it while we're talking about it. 
If not, I think you'll definitely want to look up some pictures of this after we get finished with this podcast. I think it'll help you. Some people are better at seeing these things in their mind than others, but I think it'd be helpful to look up some images on the internet of some of these things. Now, do keep in mind that some of the things that you're going to find on the internet are really not fully what it's portraying here. And so you'll have to listen and look at your pictures. And if it doesn't look quite like this, know that the people were embellishing or whatever. But the first thing we're going to talk about is the tabernacle itself. And so if you want to either look at this in the Bible with me, read it first before we talk about it, or if you want to look it up, then these are the two places that it's found in the Bible. God explains to Moses how to build the tabernacle in Exodus 26. And then in Exodus 36, Moses explains it to the people, beginning in verse 8. So if you want to read that, then go ahead and pause this and read that section and then you can listen to this or you can just listen. Now, if you would like to look at a picture, then go ahead and look up the tabernacle and then we'll be talking about each of these things. Now, I do want to tell you that I am writing this study right now, and so I don't have the entire study online, and I really am sorry about that, but it's a lot to study, and it's difficult to get, you know, 10 lessons ahead or whatever. But when this is done, I have it all laid out kind of in list form what this looks like. So you may want to keep in mind that you may want to purchase this study just to get things organized in your mind. But anyway, the tabernacle was a portable building. So this was a tent, basically, that God designed for the people to minister in while they're traveling until they get to the promised land and can make the permanent structure of the temple. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about is what this tabernacle looked like. It was a rectangular structure. We know that this is at least 45 foot long and 15 foot wide, which is what I think it is. But if you stretch the forms out, it could be bigger than that. But this is a rectangular structure, a long building, and it's made out of acacia wood which we discussed a little bit last week. It's a very hard wood. This is also a wood that the insects do not like to mess with. Disease organisms do not like to get in this. And so everything that is made out of wood, they use this acacia wood. And so the structure itself is made out of acacia wood, but it's overlaid with gold. And on the north and the south sides, which are the very long sides of this building, there are 20 frames. And these 20 frames are 15 feet tall and just over two foot wide. And then the west end, which is the back end, has six frames. And they're also 15 foot tall and a little over two feet wide. And each one of these frames has two silver bases that hold it on. And then the tabs are attached to these boards so that they can then attach to the silver bases. So everything is made where you can fit it together and then easily take it apart and rebuild it whenever they get stopped. And so you have these forms created out of wood with silver bases on them. And then in order to reinforce them, there are five crossbars on each side, on the north, the south, and the west side of this structure, five crossbars that stabilize it. And then they have golden rings that hold these bars on. 
Now, there are 20 boards that run the length of this on the north and the south side. And so, like I said, those forms were side by side. Then that little over two feet width of those forms would equal to 45 feet long. And remember, it looks like pure gold. It's made out of wood, but it all looks gold because it's overlaid with gold. Now, the east side is the entrance. There are no forms there. What they have there is five pillars that are made out of acacia wood and then overlaid with gold. And they have five bronze basins. And there's a screen that is attached with hooks, golden hooks at the top, to these pillars. And this screen is made out of fine linen and it's embroidered with purple and blue and scarlet yarn. And so that is the entrance. When you walk up to this building, you're going to see five golden pillars with bronze bases and this long sheet, basically, in front of those things. And that's what you walk in, okay? Now, all we have is the forms right now. So in order to make the walls and the roof, what they did is they sewed curtains out of fine linen and these curtains were 42 feet long. And so what they did is they ran up the 15 foot of the tabernacle and then across the roof and then back down the other 15 feet of the other side of the wall. And then they were six foot wide. And so the reason that I believe that the forms sat side by side is because if you lay curtains six feet across, they total to exactly the 45 foot length plus the 15 foot that would hang over the back to cover that back wall. And so these curtains had cherubim woven into them. And they made up the inner walls of the tabernacle. There were 10 total curtains and they had blue loops and they were clasped together with golden clasp so that they could be taken apart again and put back together. And so when you walked in to the inside of this tabernacle, what you saw is these beautiful linen curtains that had cherubim, angels, woven into them. You would feel like you were surrounded by angels if you were in this room, okay? And then in order to protect these curtains, they had another set of curtains that was a little bit bigger. It was about three foot longer and six feet wider. And these curtains were made out of goat hair. And the goat hair would be very rough, coarse, black hair that would be a protective covering over these curtains because remember this is just the inside wall but the roof only had this over the top of it at this moment and so these curtains of goat hair were covering this the other one had 10 curtains this has 11 so it's a little bit bigger so that it can cover completely all of the decorative curtains and they're clasped together with bronze clasps and the sixth curtain is kind of doubled over at the entrance and then the roof is covered again in tanned ramskins and then badger skins. So we've got four layers of cloth and skins that are covering this tent. And then it has the structure of wood that's covered in gold. Now, remember how I told you when you walk in, you have these curtains surrounding you that have the cherubim on them. 
Well, directly in front, there are four more pillars made out of acacia wood covered in gold. And on those hang another curtain that creates this veil that separates rooms. And so this front room is 30 foot deep and 15 feet wide. And the second room is 15 feet deep and 15 feet wide. The front room is called the holy place. And in there, there will be some furniture that we're going to talk about in a moment. And in the back room is called the most holy place or the holiest of holies. And this veil looks like the curtains on the inside walls. And so when you walk in, you'll have these curtains on the sides of you and then also directly in front of you with four golden pillars. So just imagine already, this is a beautiful room, right? All the pillars are gold. All of the curtains have angels on them. It's a beautiful room. So not your ordinary tent, right? Not your ordinary tent. And it even gets more beautiful when we add the furniture. So just inside the door, right when you walk in, to the right, you're going to see a golden table. And this table is trimmed in gold molding. And it has a rim around the surface of it. It says about a handbreadth tall. So basically, it has kind of like a little wall around the top of the table, okay? It's to keep everything kind of safe that's sitting on the table. And then there's golden rings in each corner of this table, and those are used for when they travel. And so when they would travel, they also had poles that they made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold, and they would slide these poles in those rings, and that's how they would carry this table as they travel. Okay, so remember, all these things are portable. So the tent is made to be able to tear down and rebuild. And each one of the items are made to be easily carried and packed up and taken with them. Now, this table is about three foot long and it's about a foot and a half deep and a little over two feet tall. So that gives you a little bit of a picture of it. Again, you might want to look up some pictures of these things, okay? Look up the picture of the table, or this could be called the table of the showbread, the table of presents. So you have this golden table, and on top of the golden table are golden dishes, plates and pans and pitchers and bowls. And then it also had 12 cakes of bread that sat on this table at all times, and they were put in two stacks of six. And then there was some frankincense that was sat with each stack. Now, it took four quarts of fine flour to make each one of these cakes. So this is a filling piece of bread and probably quite large. And these cakes would sit on the table at all times, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would call it the showbread or the bread of presence because this bread was there to show that God was always going to sustain them. He was going to meet the needs of all 12 tribes of Israel. This might remind us now that we know about Jesus of the bread of life. So he is the one that sustains us now. Jesus, the bread of life, sustains his people. And so this was kind of a foreshadow and also reminded the people that God was going to take care of them, meet their needs, sustain them physically. And now we know that he's also sustaining us spiritually. And so I want to read to you what Jesus says about himself in John 6, 35. 
Because again, these things are pointing to Jesus. They don't know it yet because they don't understand. But we do know this. And so whenever we're studying things in the Old Testament, we always have to show how they pointed to a new covenant, how we live now and what it is that we can get from what God was doing back then. And so this is John 6, 35. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So by having the pitcher and the bread sitting on the table, God was telling the people, if you come to me, you will never be hungry and you will never thirst. But Jesus tells us that if we go to him, we will never be hungry and we will never be thirsty. Now, when Jesus says that this is not necessarily a physical hunger or thirst, Jesus tells us that spiritually through him, we have eternal life through Jesus. And so Jesus not only sustains us in the physical life as God did for these Israelites then, but Jesus is sustaining us through all eternity because he is the bread of life. He is the one that if we take him in and feed ourselves with him, then he will spiritually sustain us forever. Okay? And so this bread would sit on this golden table with the golden dishes and Aaron and his sons would eat this special bread that had been offered to God by the people as a food offering. These priests would eat this bread in a holy place as God's representation because God is not a physical being on this earth at this moment. Jesus has not come. And so God cannot eat the offering that the people have given to him. And so the priests do that in the presence of the Lord on his behalf. And they do this every Sabbath and they replace the showbread every Sabbath day. And so I forgot to tell you, if you want to look up in the Bible where God is talking about this table, you can look in Exodus 25, 23 through 30. Also Exodus 37, 10 through 16. And then if you want to hear a little bit more about the bread and how it's made and what the priests do with it, you can look in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. So when you walk in and you look to the right, this is this beautiful golden table that you're going to see with golden dishes and bread on it. Now, if you look to the left, you're going to see a beautiful lampstand made of gold also. If you would like to look it up, then it's found in Exodus 25, 31 through 40, 27, 20 and 21, 37, 17 to 24, and then also in Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about now. And then if you want to look up the lampstand and the table on the internet and be looking at this while I'm talking, then go ahead and do that. So on the left side, completely opposite of the table was a golden lampstand and it was hammered out of a solid piece of gold. They had to hammer all of these shapes and make this lampstand exactly as God told them. These were gifted. We talked about that last week, how God gave them the gifts. Now we're seeing what kind of gifts he had to give to these people in order to make such beautiful things for his building. And so they hammered this lampstand out of pure gold and it had a base and a long stem and three branches that came out of each side of this stem. And on the three branches were three cups. As you went up the branches, you would have one cup and then another. And then at the top, there would be a third cup. 
And those cups look like almond blossoms with their flowers. Then on the stem in the middle where each one of the branches went out, there was another cup in the center of all three of those. And then also at the top of the stem. So you would have seven cups at the top, three more down stem, and then 12 that were on the branches below the top ones. So all of these, we assume, are where the wicks would come out of these flowers and they would all be lit. So you would have 22 places to light this lamp. And these cups were facing outward because this lamp was up against the wall. So the light would face outward to project light for that entire room. And there were also tongs and trays and utensils that were used for this lampstand. All of those were also made out of gold. They used one talent of gold to make this lampstand and all of the things that went with it. And one talent of gold is 75 pounds. So this lampstand weighed almost 75 pounds. The trays and the tongs and things were probably not very big and didn't use up very much gold. So you're looking at maybe 70 pounds, 65 pounds of a lamp of pure gold that had been hammered into this shape. It had to be beautiful. Again, this is just such a beautiful sight. And so I want you to try to picture this in your mind. They used pure olive oil to light these lamps. And so the people had to donate olive oil in order to light these lamps. And Aaron had to tend these lamps every morning and every evening because the lamps had to burn continuously. And again, how I said that everything here is pointing to Jesus. The light in this room had to burn continuously to remind us that when we're in the presence of God, there's always light. In the new heaven and the new earth, it says that there is no darkness, that Jesus himself is the light. And so there's no darkness in the presence of God. There's only light. I want to read you in John 8, 12, Jesus tells the people this about himself. It says, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what God is wanting them to see when they walk in this room is when you come into the presence of the Lord, you will have light. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. How refreshing to know this, right? That God is light. And what does light do? Light shows us. It reveals things. It lets us see. Only sin wants to hide in darkness and providing that God cannot dwell in the same place with sin. Then when you are in God's presence, there is no darkness. There's nothing to hide. Everything is brought to light. It also shows us direction, right? When the light is on, we can see where we're going. We know what's happening. God's trying to tell the people this. When you're in my presence, you will have direction. I will show you the way. All right, now the third thing is the altar of incense. And so if you want to look this up, this is found in Exodus 31 through 10 and also in 37, 25 to 28. Now, when you would walk into the entrance of the tabernacle, directly in front of you would be the altar of incense. It's in the center of the room, just in front of the veil. And this was a sacred altar. It was made out of acacia wood. It was basically like a square block that was about three feet tall and a foot and a half square. 
and it stood there in the center of the room. It had horns in each corner of it, and this entire thing was made one block of acacia wood. So they had to carve these horns out of this wood, and then they overlaid it with gold and trimmed it in gold molding. And then in two opposite corners, they had gold rings where they would slide the poles that were made of acacia wood and overlaid in gold to carry this also. And on this altar, they would burn the sweet incense that God told them to burn in this place. And only this incense was allowed to be burned on this altar. This altar was not for sacrificing animals It was not for cooking any kinds of grain. It wasn't for drink offerings. They could only burn the incense that God gave them the formula for. And so in Exodus 30, 34 through 38, and then also 37, 29 is when it talks about this. And the Exodus 30 verses tells us what this incense was made out of. And it says, take equal parts of a sweet spices. And then I do not know how to pronounce these other two things. These are two aromatic gums. And so those two things along with sweet spices and then onyxia, Most likely, it was a certain kind of mollusk that was found in the Red Sea. It was a membrane from that mollusk. And so they would take these spices and these gums and this part of this mollusk, and they would crush it up, and then they would pour incense on it, and then season it with salt, and it was beat very fine. And this was done by a skilled perfumist, right? So this is a special blend that God has created just for the burning on this altar. And the people could not burn it anywhere else. They could not use it for personal use. If they ever use this for their own personal benefit or for their own perfume, then they were to be cut off from their people. They could no longer live with the Israelite nation. This was a special, holy, sacred perfume that was created just for burning in the holy place. And God had a reason that he picked these specific spices and this specific oil to burn. We know that different aromas affect our senses in different ways, right? And so each one of them, God had a reason that he wanted them to smell this smell in this place. Specifically, we know that frankincense is supposed to increase our spiritual awareness. And so God wanted, when they were in this place, he wanted them to commune with his spirit. And so burning this frankincense, and I'm assuming the rest of these things would be similar to awakening the spirit. And it would help you feel closer to God and be able to communicate with him better. Okay, And so he had this special formula for a certain reason. And this incense was also to be burned continuously in the holy place. And so when Aaron would tend the lamps, he would also tend to this incense so that he could make sure that it was burning continuously. Okay, so we're almost finished. This is the last bit of furniture. So we've already said that when you walk in, you look to the right, you see this golden table with golden dishes and the showbread. On the left, you see this beautiful lamp hammered in pure gold with 22 candles shining light for this room. And then directly in front of you, you see this square altar that's about three foot tall that smells beautiful, right? And then you're surrounded in these curtains that have angels all over them. 
Just picture just that and the four pillars that were there with the veil that separated this room from the most holy room. And so that's what you're seeing. These four golden pillars and all these curtains and these three golden pieces of furniture. Now, if you went behind the veil, this is called the holiest of holies or the most holy place. And behind this was the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. An Ark is basically just the name for a box with a lid. And so there are three times that the word Ark is used in the Bible. The very first time that it is used is for Noah's Ark. And it's basically just saying this wasn't just a boat that people got in. This boat was completely enclosed. So that's the purpose of it being called an Ark. The second time that an ark is described is when baby Moses is in the, what we call the basket, the wicker basket, floating in the river for his safety. The reason that that's called an ark is because, again, it's this box that the baby's put in and it has a lid. So this is a wicker basket with a lid that Moses is floating on the river in. This box with a lid is basically just a chest. And so this chest sits behind the veil in the holiest of holies. And Bezalel made this out of acacia wood and then overlaid it inside and out with gold and then put gold trim all around it. And there were four gold rings that they would use to carry this whenever they would trap and they would slide the acacia poles that were overlaid in gold in those rings. Now, This was about four foot long and only a couple feet tall and a couple feet wide. And then the lid was also made of pure gold. And one piece with the lid, they created two cherubim on either end of this lid. And so all one piece, you have this flat lid that's hammered in gold. And then it curves upward in the shape of these two beautiful cherubim. And these cherubim have their wings covering over the top of the seat of this chest with their faces looking down. So just imagine the detail that that would take for someone to hammer this gold to make it look like cherubim with their wings covering this beautiful golden chest. Now, the reason that it was called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony is because it held within it the Ark of the Covenant or sometimes we call the testimony, which was the Ten Commandments that God had written with his finger. They placed those in the ark so that they would be safe. And this lid is called the mercy seat. And the reason is because, you know, whenever we sin, we need a covering, right? We need something to cover our sins. And so today, Jesus covers our sins, But this was a picture of how the people, remember, had broken those Ten Commandments that had been placed in there. And this lid was a covering of the breaking of their sins. And so it was called the mercy seat, the place where God provided mercy by covering their sins. This also is the place that God would meet with the high priest once a year and speak with him. And in his mercy, the high priest was able to meet with him and not die. And so God would meet with the high priest between the two cherubim there in the holiest of holies once a year. And so this is the mercy seat, the place where God shows mercy on his people. Isaiah talks about this, and I don't know, it's beautiful the way it's worded, and so I want you to hear it. 
This is Isaiah 37, 16. This is King Hezekiah talking to God, and he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdom of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So King Hezekiah is praising God, and he says, you're the one that dwells between the cherubim. That's this. That's a picture of this. When God comes to be with his people, he is there between the cherubim meeting with them. So to wrap this all up, I want you to get a picture in your mind. Okay, get out your pictures that you looked up from the internet or close your eyes and let me just paint you a picture. Okay, you're going to walk up to this tent and you're going to see five golden pillars with bronze bases and a linen sheet with embroidered yarn of blue, purple, and scarlet. And then you're going to walk into this place and you're going to be surrounded on all three sides, on both sides and directly in front of you with linen curtains that have angels woven into them. And so you're going to be surrounded by angels. And when you look directly to your right, you're going to see a golden table with golden dishes and bread that reminds you that God will sustain you. Reminding us that Jesus is the bread of life and that he will provide for our needs and he will keep us forever eternally. And then you look to the left and you see this beautiful golden lampstand and it's burning with 22 candles. It's giving light to the whole place. Okay, so this is a candlelit room with the aroma of this frankincense and these gums and these spices. And so you're smelling this wonderful perfume and being surrounded by angels and gold furniture everywhere, and it's candlelit. And directly in front of you, you see this golden altar, a square column, three foot tall, with horns on all four corners, where this incense is burning. And behind that, you see four golden columns with silver bases and again, the curtain. And if you were privileged enough to either set this stuff up as some of the Levi's are or to be the high priest that gets to go in there once a year, you would see behind that veil in the most holy place a chest made out of gold that holds the Ten Commandments that has angels bowing towards each other with their wings covering this seat where God would meet with his people. How beautiful is this room, right? And not only how beautiful is this room, but how costly are the materials? Do you notice that every single thing you see when you're inside this room is made out of either fine linen and beautiful colors of yarn or gold and silver? Everything you see. Can you imagine how beautiful the holy place and the most holy place would be? The reason that it looks so beautiful is because this is God's house and God is beautiful. And so his house must be beautiful. And why is everything so expensive in there? Because God's valuable, right? What is God's value? It's immeasurable, right? There is nothing more valuable to us than God. And being in the presence of God with his light and his guidance, there isn't anything better than that. And so the reason that it's made of these costly materials and the reason that it's so beautiful is because when you go in, you're supposed to see the Lord. You're supposed to see his beauty and his worth 
and his light and sacrifice that is made for you in his glory. All of that is what we're supposed to see whenever we walk into this tabernacle. And so, as I told you, this is a long description. It's difficult to read. It's a lot of stuff that may sound monotonous if we're reading it, but this is no ordinary tent, right? This is no ordinary tent. This is a beautiful house for the Lord. God said, even if it's going to be portable, I don't care. It still has to be beautiful. It has to be a representation of me. My home needs to represent me. I want to tell you what it says in the Psalms about living in God's presence. This is Psalm 27, 4, and it says, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Beholding the beauty of the Lord whenever we inquire in his temple. I seek to dwell in his house all the days of my life. So no, we don't have a beautiful temple to go into that shows us God's glory and his worth and his beauty. But we can dwell in God's presence every single moment because we house his spirit. We have the bread of life providing us and keeping us alive eternally with him. We have the light of the world showing us the way. We have the sacrifice of Jesus that brings us into the most holy place. Eventually, the heavens, the place where our Lord God dwells. So, you know, we may be tempted to think we don't want to study about the tabernacle. It's going to be boring. This is not a boring place. It is majestic. God is showing his beauty in his house. And so I wanted y'all to see what this place looks like because we're going to be talking about the tabernacle and all the things in it for many, many weeks to come. And we needed to paint a picture in our minds of how beautiful God's house was. So that's all we're going to do today. Next week, we're going to study the courtyard. Outside of this tabernacle, there was a fence. And within that fence is where they did their sacrifices and had the altar and several other things. And so we'll talk about those things next week. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Behold the beauty of God as you walk through the rest of this week. And then if you'd like to leave me comments, then I would love to read whatever your thoughts are on this episode. Also, leave me a five-star review. If you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.